0: Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody. And welcome to this week's Grow Guides from High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from persisgrowroom.com. Just a quick reminder before we move into the episode, which is about temperatures and humidity for cannabis plants this week on monday that's monday coming up on the 23rd of may we have a special birthday session with tommy chong it's tommy chong's birthday on the 24th of may but he's obviously going to be spending that day with family and friends in real life but the day before he's going to come and join us in our zoom room on the 23rd of may on monday at 9 p.m uk time 5 p.m eastern time or 1 p.m pacific time that's on Monday, the 23rd of May. Tommy Chong will be joining us live to have a birthday session. So if you want to come and have a birthday session with Tommy Chong live, where you can say happy birthday to him in the chat, say hi, have a chat with him, get hi with Tommy Chong, then that's happening on Monday. Again, the 23rd of May at 9pm UK time, 5pm Eastern time and 1pm Pacific time. I hope we can see you there. It'll be fun if there was loads of people there to wish Tommy Chong a happy birthday because he's the legend, the king of stoners. So... Make sure you're there to come and say happy birthday to you. Um And of course, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask him as well, then you can do that in the chat whilst he's there session with us. It's going to be super cool. I hope you can make it. But anyway, without any further ado, let's uh, move on to this week's Grow Guides. I hope you enjoy it. hope you learn something. I'll speak to you at the end of this. So, temperatures and humidity, which is, it's very important to a cannabis plant. You know, if it's too hot or too cold, it's not going to grow properly. And if it's too humid in the grow room, then it's, it's not going to be able to breathe properly. So this is what we're going to be discussing today. I mean, where do we even start with this? I mean, it's sort of complex because each different stage throughout the, the life cycle of cannabis plant, they, they prefer different levels of humidity. And it's good to give them that. But, you know, I like to keep things as simple as possible. So don't worry about this shit too much. And by giving you these numbers, I don't want anybody thinking that this is exact. And you need to keep your cannabis plant at 26 degrees Celsius. Otherwise, it's going to die. Don't want anybody thinking any shit like that. These are just levels which you want to aim for. But it's not not massively important. important to have them dead on a couple of degrees either way. And the plant should be happy enough. So don't get too too concerned if you check your grow room and see that you're not dead on any of
1: these numbers. Yeah, that's a good point, because when we're talking about ideal conditions for cannabis is what we're going to give you the numbers for. It. And a mm-hmm. plant can actually exist way out of these ranges and higher and lower. It may not be in an optimal grow condition. It may grow a little slower, but it will live well outside of these ranges.
0: So it's essentially all about the evaporation of fluid so the plant can breathe and eat. If you have the right temperatures and the right humidity, then the water will get shrunk up by the roots, move through the plant and then evaporate through the leaves at a specific rate. And this is what you want to aim for. If you keep them levels right for the right stage of growth, then the plant's going to be very happy, eating a nice amount, drinking a nice amount and growing at a good pace. So... When you start off for the vegetative stage, let's say uh, for when you're doing a seedling, the seedling doesn't have many roots and it needs to try and you uh, can't drink too much water through the roots. So if you have it too dry in the air, then the water's going to be evaporating off that little stem too quickly. And it will dry the thing out too fast and it will die because it can't drink enough through roots. So when you're at the stages where the plants are small with no roots, then you want to be having in, in very humid conditions.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, you can, you can pretty much, that's correct. When your plant is young, you really want to keep it in an ideal conditions a lot more. You, you don't want to challenge. Mm-hmm, the plant. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what Mackie's saying, you know, keep it at, at approximately 26 degrees light on with approximately 60, 65% relative humidity for a seedling and your plant will be pretty happy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, these are approximate numbers. As, like he said, like Mackie said before, your plant's not going to die if you're at 59% humidity and 84% I mean, excuse me, twenty-four degrees Celsius. Your plan will be just fine. It just has to be close to those numbers.
0: Mm-hmm. So you might hear this term thrown around quite a bit called VPD, which is vapor pressure deficit. Does anybody want to explain
1: what this is? I'm
2: not sure know what it is.
1: <laughs> I understand the theory. I cannot explain it too well. I mean, but I don't. I don't believe I'm the one who could explain it so everybody else can understand it. That's just it. I mean, it's, it's basically the difference between the humidity uh, in the, it, it, the, the ideal humidity area that the plant wants to be in and the area that you're in it has to deal with. And, you know, the uh, hard to say, oh, I'm, I'm a bit lost for
3: words here. Well, it's um, pretty much
0: the same as what I said, where the plant is drawing moisture in through the roots, yes. it's moving through the plant and then evaporating out the leaves. This is essentially what the vapor pressure deficit is,
1: right? Right. And if the air is drier, it's going to lose more more moisture through the leaves. Mm-hmm. And if the air is more humid, it's not going to need to lose as much moisture through the leaves. Mm-hmm.
0: VPD, I always think, it, of course, it's something that matters when it comes to growing plants. But if you have your temperatures and humidity in the right range, then the VPD should be working just fine. The plant will adjust and it will do whatever it needs to do to to stay happy and when you're growing cannabis at home as just you know you're growing weed for yourself and not commercially not professionally you don't really need to go through the extents of stressing yourself out making sure that everything was is within the correct vpd or anything like that. If you just have the correct temperatures and humidity for your plants at the right stage of growth, it will grow lovely. I mean, as we said they just asked Marge what VPD is, and she doesn't know. She she grows cannabis. She knows what she's doing. I, I don't really know what VPD is, and I don't monitor it in my grow room, but I've been growing weed now for like 12 years. It's not something that is majorly important to you growing. So don't take it too seriously, and don't get too pissed off if you're not within the right range. Just try and get around to it. But again, right. if you keep temperatures and humidity within range, then it will be at the right levels for the VPD anyway.
1: you say, Monkey? I said, I've been burned by VPD. I mean, I wasn't. I don't monitor it strictly, but I was growing a, a G13 haze and everything looked right with the feed and the feed numbers looked correct. And the plants were basically telling me I needed a little bit more feed in there. So when I did the output, so I, I, when I raised the feed, the problem in the tent was this was still in veg. In my humidity in that tent, it was a wintertime grow. The humidity was down somewhere in in the low uh, low thirties, high twenty eight percent. And when I raised the nutrients, the plant started drinking more. It got a hold of more nutrients, and overnight I got plant burn. Boof, mm-hmm. that quick. So the VPD caused the plant to drink more. There was too much nutrients in the water and I got nutrient burn almost instantaneous because I didn't follow the VPD chart correctly. Hmm. In the case that case, I would have been wise to basically increase fertigation and not increase the feed. If I would have started feeding, giving it more water more often, it wouldn't have burned, but by raising the nutrient level and feeding it saltier water, it couldn't handle the, the, the fluid cycling and burned.
3: Yeah, see, I don't, I was just going to say, I don't, um, I don't follow VPD either. Um, -hmm. you know, I've I've been growing for pretty close to the same as you, uh, Mackie. And I I find that as long as you're keeping it within the, I call it the Goldilocks zone, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you're generally going to be okay. Um, and, and, you know, it's it cause VPD, I look at as, as just another way to measure, um, you know, another way to keep a reference point, I suppose, on your grow and what's going on, but it is a one of those, um, I think, harder to follow sort of charts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially if it's if you're a newer grower, um, worrying about VPD, and it's one of those things too that. That if you focus on it too much and you worry too much about it, it's going to affect your grow because you're paying too much attention to it. Whereas if you just try and keep it in those zones and keep the plant happy overall, yeah. you're probably going to be in a better position.
0: You no, know, that's just keep it the right temperature, within the right humidity, and the plant will go
3: fine. Yeah. And Woody's made another good point there that the VPD does change throughout the day, so part of when you're checking your vpd you really want to be checking it at the same time every time otherwise you're going to get variance, and it's going to be different and if you then you're going to throw another spanner in the works right
0: so we want to start off with the temperatures um, throughout the grow around 26 degrees celsius which is what would you what's that in um, that's about 65 to 75 in fahrenheit is it you say it's 68 um, 26
1: is going to be closer to 90. Is
0: it? Oh yeah, it's three times, 80, isn't it? 80,
1: no, closer to eighty-five. Yeah. Excuse me.
0: Okay, so you can do the uh the calculations 78. online. Seventy-eight. If you have the temperature around the twenty-six degrees Celsius, seventy-eight degrees Fahrenheit throughout the whole grow, the plant will be pretty happy. But don't be afraid if it's a couple of degrees either side; it's not going to be a massive difference. Uh, I mean, we've known of grows go up, to, especially during the summertime. You you can go up to thirty-two degrees C, and the plants will continue to grow. And it can go all the way down to fifteen degrees Celsius and still continue to grow, and it already stop growing and start having difficulty when it gets to about twelve degrees Celsius. So there's a there's a big range for it for the plant to be at where it can be where it will get along just about fine. But once you get towards them them end scales, which are far apart from each other, fifteen degrees C on one side and 32, 33 on the other, that's where you'll start seeing your problems. So you can see there's quite a bit of um, leeway either side. So don't get too concerned, but aim for that 26 degrees throughout the whole grow, and you'll be pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've actually bumped the tent before and knocked the extractor offline for a half a day or o- almost a full day. And the tent got up to like 35 centigrade, like 96, 97. Plant it, was fine.
0: If it's super hot, the plant's just going to drink more to try and keep itself yeah. cooler. So if, mean, sorry,
1: it man. wasn't, it, it didn't even phase the plant. These things, These things are tough. All you have to really do is just, yeah, just stabilize the temperature, give the plant a little extra water and give it time. It'll it'll and it came back beautifully. So VPD is not going to kill your plant. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it can it can slow down your production. It can do, you know, m- maybe make your grow a little less efficient if you get it, if you're off of it. But kind of like what the uh, Bubble Hawk's been saying, they'll just keep it somewhere in the in the safe zone and mm-hmm. you're good.
0: Actually, around twenty-six degrees C is cool. So let's say that your grow room or your grow tent is too warm. What would you do to reduce the temperatures? You got any? I mean, there's obviously air conditioning, but that's an expensive setup. If you're going to be using air conditioning, but usually people would uh, turn up the speed of their extraction if possible to suck more air out. Open a window to let more cooler air in if that's possible.
3: Uh, what other techniques would you recommend anybody? I oh, I think it depends on. If like, if it's, if it's too warm, is it warm and like too warm and dry or is it warm and humid? Because this, if it's too warm and dry, you can always use a, um, like, I think you guys call them swamp coolers. We call them just air coolers here. And it's essentially just a big fan that draws air across um, a big sheet. Of, of like paper that's covered in like they just get soaked in water and as that blows through that then brings the temperature down but it will also raise your uh, your humidity so mm. it's, a, it's a good option for if you've got dry heat um a lot of commercial growers will use swamp coolers in their greenhouses
2: Yeah, yeah efficient oh, cheaper, and efficient
1: yeah.
3: yeah it's cheap i mean look it costs you what so you know a couple liters of water and a fan mm-hmm. You know, as as opposed to running an aircon constantly.
0: Mm-hmm. You also have a air conditioning, like like we said, but that's going to be expensive. And when you do, if you do come to using an air conditioner, then don't get the ones where you have to put in that you have to put inside your grow room, because they'll just produce heat themselves, put it out into your grow room, and it'll just make it warm. And it just is expensive nowadays. You don't want the device fighting itself, so you have to have the the um, air conditioner outside of the growth space, blowing air into the growth space or being sucked in through uh, the extractor?
1: In my case, I grow in an air conditioned space. It, it is my workshop and the entire mm-hmm. workshop is air conditioned and that, if you can do that, that's gonna be your most yeah. efficient way to do it. Nice. You're not fighting anything, you know, the space that, that it's in is, is insulated correctly and your tents inside of that space and so you have a very good give and take. The mm-hmm. long room works really well in that situation.
0: So now when it comes to keeping the grow room warm, I mean, that that's pretty simple. Marge, you must have that trouble a lot living up in Canada.
2: Uh, keeping it warm? Yeah. Well, with my micro-grows, not really. Right. Just because, like, I mean, we're, the house is heated, so I'm just doing mm-hmm. it in a closet. As long as the house is at a reasonable temperature mm-hmm. and we're not trying to, like, save money <laughs> or something by keeping the thermostat down, it's usually not a big problem for me.
0: Yeah, and that's it. if you're growing those- at home, like most of us will be doing, then just having the house heated is usually plenty, but along with mm-hmm. what the heat, the light is going to add to the growth space as well. That is usually plenty to keep the plant happy at a decent uh, yeah, temperature. T-
1: cannabis plants mm-hmm. will be happy in the same temperatures that we're happy in. Maybe just a little bit warmer, though. A little bit warmer, maybe, but not too bad.
2: But isn't that when you just said like some of the, the heat and the lights themselves might make up the difference that you need anyway?
1: It will. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's how I do it in in my climate control space, you know, like Mm -hmm. Becky was saying, technically, this is slightly cold for for, for the lights on phase, but when you turn the the lights on in the tent, it raises it just a few degrees, which is plenty and everything's right right in the ideal zone.
0: But then it comes to the nighttime temperatures as well, it, you know, because when the lights are on, it's going to add heat, but you don't want to get it too cold at nighttime either. So just try and keep it above 15 degrees at all times. You, you don't really want to head below 15 degrees because they'll start suffering problems until it gets to 12 degrees and then it will stop growing. So just be careful what you, you're doing there. Keep it above 15 at all times and preferably around 20 at night and 26 during the daytime. That's like, they'd like that a lot. If you can
3: do that. Well, I mean, look, and the other side of that is here, don't freak out if you're like 28, 29 degrees. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah, it's not ideal, but I I I just suffered through that with the Northern Lights Grow because we've had, you know, we had a summer here that we had weeks on end that were like, you know, 35, 40 degrees outside just every second day. Yeah. And yeah. trying to keep a, a grow tent cool in that is it's nightmare fuel. It is just mm-hmm. almost impossible. So yeah. That Northern Lights copped 28C plus during the days up to 31C at times without issue. It yeah, ran the whole thing through, didn't didn't bother it at all.
0: Back in the days of using HPS and shit, you know, some growers will still be using high-intensity discharge lighting. That mm. shit can really increase the heat of a grow room. And I've been up to 35, 36. And if you're yeah. at that stage, if it's too hot and you've done everything you already can, you know, added more air into the grow room, more fans, bring it in cooler air and it's still you've done everything you can just stop checking the temperature there's nothing you can do about it and it's just going to stress you out too much so don't get too carried away with this don't stress yourself out growing you won't enjoy it so much it's just one of those things and just know as long as your plants are properly watered they're going to be fine if you're in dwc and the the reservoir keeps getting too warm that will have an effect on the plant's so that's what you have to watch out for the most when, when the temperatures get too high is if you're in full hydro. But that's easily changed, but you can get yourself an aquarium cooler. Just drop yourself an aquarium cooler in and that will keep the temperature of the reservoir down. But if you don't have one of them, just freeze a couple of, uh, you know, the one-litre Coca-Cola bottles or fizzy drink. It doesn't have to be Coca-Cola. And just get three or four of them and put them in the freezer to freeze and then just drop one into your reservoir and when it's melted you'll have others to replace it with and just recycle go around and keep, and that will help keep the temperature in the reservoir down but when it comes to the air temperature around the plant generally if you're okay in it that your plant's going to be okay in it just keep the air going around make sure the plants are well water and the medium doesn't dry out so that's uh and keeping it warm as well like um I would use an oil rad, you know, an oil rad radiator. They seem to be mm-hmm. the best things. Some people like to use a blow heater, but they can be expensive when it comes to use the electricity usage. But, uh, what else is just like, greenhouse heaters you can buy? They're pretty cool. It's uh, got any... heat mats as well. Yeah, heat mats are a, c- a cool thing. Do you use anything to keep it warm, Marty? or just do what you've got in-house there?
2: Right now, just what I have in-house. Cool. yeah there's only i only have two at the moment like two grows because um out of the four two were male so I had to
0: oh lame
2: i know boo, boo. <laughs> it happens yeah
0: it's all that, right J- just grow the females twice as big ain't it you will be fine
2: yeah there you go yeah. yeah
0: so yeah there's lots of different ways to heat up the grow room just try and conserve as much energy as possible whilst doing it and i think one of the most efficient ways is using an oil rad heater because that will get hot you can turn the power off and it will stay hot for a while while it's still sitting there in the grow room you know so it's essentially producing free heat at that point you can control the temperature nice and easy by linking all this stuff up to like an ecotech controller what's uh what do you use what's that that one you use monkey
1: uh for what now
0: to exactly uh, to control the temperature control extraction but uh, inkbird mm. is what i'm thinking
1: oh, no inkbird. Oh, yeah. inkbird no i don't even, i don't even use inkbirds uh for mm-hmm. temperature control i just use what's on the ac infinity fans the uh ac controller ac mm-hmm. infinity controllers it works really well super Sweet. simple nothing to it so then we have
0: humidity when uh, humidity is a bit different because in the early stages in the seedling, in the seedling stage and early veg stage you want to have reasonably high humidity around 65 percent and uh, that's just uh, that's what the the young plants prefer because their roots aren't too big. But when you're heading into the middle of uh, the vegetative period and you can bring the humidity down and then when you're in flower, you want it to be uh, much lower, like between 45 and 55% is best in flower. And that's essentially just to try and reduce the chances of any mold germinating because the more humid it is in a grow room, the more likely it is a mold spool would germinate. So uh, to make sure that doesn't happen, always have air moving around the grow room with a with a couple of good fans and try to keep the the humidity under fifty five percent
3: during the flowering stage. But airflow is the most important, I think, when it comes to high humidity. as long as you've got the air moving, there's less chance it's going because it's the mm-hmm. stagnant air that get, mm-hmm. the, the molds molds going to grow in. So if you've got a fan under canopy, a fan above canopy and your extraction running, nine times out of 10, you're going to be fine. You know, Uh even if you are seeing sort of, you know, because I mean, I'm seeing now and I'm in like, well, I would say late flower on this um, wedding cake and I'm, I'm seeing 60, 65 in that tent. We just, it's just the outside can't, and I've got a dehumidifier running constantly in there. So I've just got the airflow running and I, there's not even a a hint that there's any mold in that tent. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Airflow, airflow is probably the biggest thing for for humidity. That's it, them stale air pockets, man,
0: that's where that mold will grow. So just keep yeah, the fans yeah. moving at all times. Extracting that old air, that's also very important. And and making sure that the humidity is kept low, man. It's very important, that shit. In the later stages of flower, when you're going through the early stages, it's not so bad. But try and keep it below 60% because it, mold can still germinate on plants without buds on them if, if mm. it, you, know, you have stale air and shit. It, on the stems, on the branches, you might get mold, up powdery mildew. Mm-hmm.
1: I like to actually go somewhere in the forties or even high thirties percent late flower in my tents if, if I can get it, mm. and um, help stop that bread rot and that powdery mildew and all that stuff. Yeah,
0: it's just it, when the humidity is lower like that, the plant will drink more, won't it?
1: Uh, yeah, but you know, in late flower, you know, the last couple of weeks, you know, it's going to shut down drinking anyway, so. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, as it's ripening toward the end, that's when I usually am um, really cautious about butter rot and mold.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And so that's when I'll go ahead and, and uh, after that plant stops drinking so much, I'll get the, I'll, I'll lower the humidity in, in the entire building and just let everything hang down low. All
0: right. So when it comes to humidity, you'd use a, a hygrometer or hydrometer to check the humidity in a room. You know, I tell you a, a certain percentage it will be measured in. And it's Hydrometer? Based- hydrometer. That's one. I've got a hydrometer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's what I said. Yeah, English, (laughs) English versus American. There you go. We're done.
1: Hydrometer, hydrometer. Okay, yeah.
0: Yeah. So um (laughs) I mean that will give you the percentage of what the humidity is around the plants So make sure it's in the right place. Sometimes you get these things we've got a probe on like a wire, and I have a little uh, the a metal tip on the end, and that will measure the temperature, but I think it's only the actual square thing that will measure the humidity the, pr- the prong at the end doesn't measure the humidity that's the actual device itself so make sure that's in the middle of the grow room amongst the plants so we can get a good reading of what the humidity is
1: yeah i always like to keep that right at the top of the plant mm-hmm. so i can see what the very top of it is looking like the temperatures yeah, yeah. and the humidities there
0: i used to rest it on my scrub it's beautiful
3: <laughs> I, sh- I shoot for one up top one down bottom Nice but I've got, to, I got two of the Inkbird um, ones that they're like, they connect to your Wi-Fi on your phone and everything. So, you know, I've, I've you know one down the bottom, one up the top, and a visual one I can just check if I open the tent. So well,
0: for a plus. long time, for, for me, I haven't even bothered checking. I don't check my humidity and I don't check my temperature anymore. And I haven't done for a long time because mm. for a long time, they were just within range and I don't really need to do anything to adjust it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, once you are set up, I think, and you get and you've you've done a few runs and you you get them under your belt and you sort of understand how your setup runs. Mm-hmm. It's it's a lot a lot less stressful because you kind of know how it's going to go. You know it's going to you're going to get through the grow without any issues um, or with very little issues. And the issues that you do have, you understand and know how to combat anyway. So, um, yeah, it's you know it. I'm very rarely watching that temperature and humidity unless I know. You know where we've we've got it's been pissing down for a week here then yeah right. okay i'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to be watching that humidity or if we've had yeah. ridiculous heat yeah same thing but mm-hmm. as, as a rule of thumb you know I'm, I'm checking it maybe once a day make sure it's in in range but it's not you know i'm not constantly watching it
0: right so when the humidity does go off as well because that will happen sometimes you need it to be more humid than what it is and sometimes you need to be less humid so to add moisture to the air, you'd use uh, hu- a humidifier. Does anybody use one of these? I've never had to use one. I've always had I, good levels.
1: I have, oh. a, uh, i got some small ones that I use when I need them, um, mm-hmm. which is like if I'm starting seedlings in the in the wintertime or early spring when it's still a dry air around, I'll, I'll probably plug that in and run that for a week, maybe two weeks, uh, a little bit just to get the humidity up in the tent. I didn't used to use them, but I started doing it and found that I get a lot better growth rate on the on the seedlings if I keep the humidity high
3: mm-hmm. early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you use bubble No, I don't. I don't really have to. Um, you know, again, we've been struggling high humidity more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But generally, when I've when I've got a low humidity zone, um, it's because it's it's hot, hot and dry. Right. So. You know, in that case, I'll I'll throw the um the swamp cooler on and that'll bring it, bring it back up. But I do like to shoot for sort of 60, 65 in um, as as a seedling right through veg. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not really until sort of mid to late flower I'm looking at trying to bring those numbers down and yeah. anything under 50 in late flower, I'm I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as far as as putting, um, yeah, as, as bringing that up, I mean, there, there's a few different options. You can always cowboy it and and go a, a big pot of of warm water and a towel if you you know you don't have a humidifier. Just use a, a fan blowing across it'll do. Um, do at least raise it a little bit for mm-hmm. you if you've got really dry issues in there. Um, but yeah, I've never had to use one specifically. Like I've never gone out and bought one, but I've gone out and bought a dehumidifier. So mm-hmm. yeah
1: well fabric pots will raise your humidity because the water is evaporating out of the sides of the fabric pot so if mm. you're having trouble and using standard pots that's one way to get your humidity up is maybe change to fabric that's yeah, another good point yeah, man.
0: anything you're doing because you must be a uh, low humidity where you are Marge. when it gets cold
2: mm-hmm. so no, I no humidity <laughs> yeah I, I don't really do anything honestly I just mm-hmm. keep them in the closet and they do their thing Pretty I same, think same they're so for me. Small, really. It's like, yeah. yeah, they're so small that they don't seem to demand much of me, which I really like, <laughs> which is why I recommend the <laughs> micro for busy people. who mm-hmm. don't have a lot of space either. Like,
1: yeah, once you get them started blooming, way. you just basically back off the micros and de- they do their thing.
2: Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah, it really is.
1: Yeah, man. And then we
0: have to really de- recommend
2: them.
1: Sorry, Mike.
2: No, go ahead. And,
0: and then you have decreasing humidity when the humidity gets too high now usually this can be as simple as just like increasing your extraction to bring some of the humid air out faster because it can build up in there especially after you've just watered like monkey said with the fabric pots though if you've watered your plants and you have fabric pots that's going to jump up the humidity for a little while. so you can just speed up fans if that's the case or you can use a dehumidifier if you find that necessary if to, if the humidity levels start going over 70 percent, then you definitely want to start getting the dehumidifier out and stopping that especially if you're in flower if you're if you're in flower and you're above 65 percent, then you definitely need to start doing something about that as well and get a dehumidifier out hmm. but this it doesn't really happen very often that humidity gets that high or rain outside the thunderstorm or something like that but these things pass you know if you just keep a Good airflow flowing around the tent the whole time to make sure that there's no stale air pockets. Then the mold is less likely to germinate, so and it won't grow.
1: Well, but, you know. I grow in small tents, and I I do notice uh, humidity spiking toward the end of my grows when mm-hmm. I'm in, in late flower. Um, smaller the tent, I think it's easier for that humidity to spike. Mm-hmm. And it was my choice to start in small tents, so it's something that I have to fight on a regular basis. And so sometimes I will have to use a dehumidifier in my room to get that space down maybe in the 40s so that I can increase the fan Mm. and lower it that way. But, I mean, I have seen that frequently in my my small tents that toward late flower I start seeing spikes in humidity.
3: I I see similar stuff, you know, but that's why I've got a dehumidifier. So I'll dehumidify the room rather Uh than – but I don't put it in the tent because it's it's blowing warm air and stuff as well. That's another big thing Mm -hmm. with with that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, But rarely do I have an issue with the bigger tent. It's, you know, if I'm going to have a humidity issue, it's going to be with the four by four or the 80 by 80. It's, it's always the smaller two of the tents Mm -hmm. and I tend to find it's nighttime. You'll get that massive spike. um, Mm -hmm. Right after the lights go off. Right after the lights off. Bang. Yeah. And that's the other side of that too, is with you, we were talking about, you know, raising humidity with your pots and things like that. Like if you're seeing high humidity, um and and it's only for a portion of the day that's likely the culprit so it's it's something you know don't stress out immediately and try to change mm-hmm. everything let it settle because it's going to spike and come up and down pretty much throughout the whole day it's, it's natural it's nature That's what it does you know it's what it's what the earth does so as long as you're keeping it as close to those um values as you can i suppose that's right with you and just introduce
0: some fresh air by right? opening some windows opening some doors maybe you know increase some extraction. get get a, some and a smaller intake vent so you say you have a five inch extraction then get a four inch extraction fan and put it in so it's blowing air into the into the grow tent as well and have it intaking from somewhere drier like right? by the window or somewhere cooler that kind of thing works as well. You know, just pushing the air through, it makes sure that the air exchange rate is higher. Yeah. yeah. That can help a lot. Just just keep fresh air flowing in as much as possible and it shouldn't get too humid. Anyway, this is why you would tend to use like a cup or a propagator when you're using seedlings and cuttings because you want the humidity to be, to, humidity to be high. So you put this cover over them to stop the air escaping so much. And then the humidity rises in there. So if you just let fresh air in, so any room, the humidity should drop unless it's crazy hot outside and it's just rained. And then you can be at like, like 99%. I don't get that. Shouldn't it be like swimming if it's 99% humidity? That, that don't mean water, right?
1: <laughs> no, that just means how much air, what, what should the air can hold? Mm. It
3: ain't holding much at 98%. You know what I'm saying? Well, not much more anyway. Exactly. It's holding oh. almost all
1: of it, yeah. Like
3: I've opened, I've opened my four x four, especially when you've got CO two and stuff running. And if you've got that bang on in the in its in the Goldilocks zone, you can open that tent in the morning and the walls are moist. You know, like it's mm. it's it's usually early morning. I'll find it, um, or you know, and because I don't go in and check my tents once the lights are off. But that's generally when it's going to happen. I'll I'll open it up and yeah, it, it's just high humidity all night, um, and the the CO two because you you're sort of running a little bit more heat with the CO2 and you can make it adv- take advantage more of that <clears throat> e- extra, um, the, the extra humidity in there. So, but it, yeah, it's like a little mini rainforest. You open it up and you, and you can tell. Um, but like even that, you know, I've had that go for all the way through veg with autos and it'd be fine. No issue. But air is moving constantly. It's getting extracted. It goes out of the room. Mm-hmm. Fresh air is coming in. So
0: that's the most important thing, man. You can't stress that enough. It always mm. keep fresh air rolling around the grow room all the time. They never turn them fans off. They need to be oscillating, blowing for the whole grow. And the, the air always needs to be extracted. So, but remove the old shit, man. And you shouldn't see mold, but it, it can still happen. It's rare, but it does. But as long as you keep the, the levels Correct and the fresh air moving, you should be okay. So uh, again, just throughout the whole grove, really, you want to be aiming for around 26 degrees Celsius, which would you say Monkey was like 76 degrees Fahrenheit? Or did you say
1: 78.8 is what it said. Right. So just according to the Siri. Oh, better ask Google.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, knew, I knew you I knew you'd throw <laughs> that one out there, you know, <laughs> Mr. Apple Lover.
1: I love apples. Love apples.
0: What was going to say? I forgot what I was going to say. Gonna
1: say. Oh, you like them apples?
0: Yeah. But yeah, just try and keep it around them levels, and then when you go up to flower, then you can make it a little bit cooler if you want to. And, uh, I, I don't know. Some people do that, but I just do what's best for you. But if the plant looks too hot, then make it cooler, and if the plant looks too cold, then make it warmer. You, know, you can generally tell if the plant's too hot by the leaves or we'll do something called canoeing, which is where they curl up and start to look like a canoe. So just keep an eye out for them signs. And if you see those signs, it means it's too warm. And that the plants will tell you if it's too warm for them better than any uh, thermometer will, because some plants can handle it much warmer than others. Some Some yeah. will be happy at 32 and some will be dying at 32. So mm-hmm. it just, it depends on your plants. So keep an eye on them and they'll tell you if it's too warm and if it's too warm, then check the temperature and see where you're sitting at. Cause then you can make a note of it and try not to aim for them levels again. Uh, and uh... and as it's,
1: been, it's been mentioned. These plants are very uh, able to adapt to your environment. So don't freak out. If you can't get perfect conditions, just get as close as you can. And the plant's going to do great. It's going to find its own. It's going to grow perfect for you. Mm-hmm. Just try to get as best or as close as you can.
0: That's right. right. And when it comes to humidity in the early stages, 65% is cool for, for seedlings, Uh, but around 60% during veg is is fine, 55 to 60%. But you want to be aiming below 50% when you're in the the flowering stage, just to make sure that there's less chance of mold germinating. And that will help the plant drink more as well, because it's trying to sweat and perspire through the leaves, you know, that whole VPD thing again. But that's about yeah. it. You know, if you, you just keep it within the levels, and the whole growth should go fine. The plants will tell you if there's a problem. Mm-hmm. But is there anything Usually. else to talk about with when it comes to the temperatures and the humidity? I don't think so. I think we're good, right? We don't know how I to increase, cover and decrease it. And of course, if anybody has any questions, then you can always head over to com and we'll be able to answer some questions in the forum for you if you want to ask some. But uh, we have got some questions that we'll cover before we finish up. We've got uh, one from Bogon, which is, this is your kind of thing. This is monkey about buffering cocoa, and okay. there's there's five separate questions, but I'll ask them all at once because it's uh, the, just sum it all up. You know, uh, how do you do it, and what's the process? Uh, what mm. can you uh, uh, what can you add like kanazan? Can you add kanazan to it? How many times can you reuse cocoa? Is there any other use before you just put put in compost? Um, and ratios of buffered cocoa to fresh cocoa?
1: Well, uh, this is actually pretty cool because Boba Hawk does his slightly different than me, but we both buffer cocoa from time to time. So you'll get more than one answer here, I'm sure. Um, how do you buffer cocoa? That's, I mean, was that I guess that's the first question. Yeah, buffering, buffering cocoa is basically, uh, if you get your cocoa in a brick form, or any any type that has not been buffered, that means that when it was collected, it probably still has a good bit of salt sodium chloride uh, in, in that cocoa. And it's chemically bonded, what you need to do is you need to soak that cocoa in a calmag solution, because the calmag has a as a stronger, Ionic attraction to the cocoa is going to replace the sodium chloride that's stuck to your, to your uh, cocoa core and replace it with stuff that we need necessarily CalMag. So after your, uh, if your cocoa is hydrated, you're going to soak your cocoa in one and a half times the the strength that's listed on the bottle of CalMag and you can use it in just regular tap water, you can use rain water, but you wanna soak that cocoa for about four to eight hours and then you're gonna drain that and then you're gonna soak it again, to double buffer it just to make sure that you've got all all the sodium chloride released from from the uh, cocoa and you've got that CalMag bound correctly to the the cocoa so that your cannabis plant can uptake uh, the, the CalMag correctly from it um it's not the only way to do it now after you finish buffering it of course you get it out of the CalMag solution you want to make sure you wash it with fresh clean water before you use it for anything else now uh that's how i do it bubble hawk does it quite differently he does it i believe in his fabric pots and we'll let him tell you how he does it
3: yeah so i i will rinse my cocoa to start so i'll get it in the brick form and i'll break it up in a big uh, wheelbarrow fill that full of, full of water. So it'll bring in some moisture and obviously soak up that moisture. Then I'll put it across a big screen and I'll hose out all of the smaller crud and the sand mm-hmm. and the rocks and everything else that comes with it. Um, but then I'll, uh, I'll actually put that washed cocoa into um, the, the five gallon bags I'm going to use. Um, and then I'll actually soak them with the 150% um, ratioed cow mag in that overnight. Generally, you know, I, I leave it for eight to 12 hours. I find, you know, it doesn't really matter because I'll then pull it out, rinse it through and then buffer again. So I still double, double buffer, but I rinse in between. Um, reason I rinse is to get any of that excess stuff um, that's just sitting in the medium after you've, after you've buffered it. Because you're going to, when sitting in that solution, it bring, it's going to sit in its own salt. Once that salt comes out of the medium itself and out of the cocoa, it's got to go somewhere, so it's going to be sitting there. So I'll rinse that out, um, and then yeah, double buffer again. So I'll, I'll hit it, hit it twice with the solution. After the second solution, I'll take it out, completely rinse it through. Now I I rinse it through with pH water, um, and I use rainwater for that that's the last rinse in the middle and everything in between. I'll, I can use normal tap water. It's not an issue. Um, but yeah. So I'll, that last one will be rinsed with pH clean water. And then before I plant anything in it, very light nutrient solution. Um, so usually uh, I'll use a, um, uh, like a sea salt, um, which would be like rhizotonic for you, um, for you guys. If you, uh, it's the same sort of level, it's just a seaweed uh, mm-hmm. solution that I'll pop in there along with a very, light, um, a, a very light dose of the nutrients I'm going to use um, before I plant anything in it. Um, but that's basically it.
1: Man. Oh, Sounds yeah.
3: about right. Hmm. And as far
1: as reusing your cocoa, that, that's a little bit different, that. Um, the biggest, yeah, problem, that... <laughs> biggest problem with reusing your cocoa is getting rid of, of most of the roots that are in it, and that's not an easy task. It can be done. But I'm going to say, basically, you're going to have to figure out how to do it on your own, because everybody who does it does it somewhat differently. But you need to to take the cocoa out of the pot, remove the root ball and get as much of the root out as you can before you start the process. Otherwise, if you leave too much of that root back behind, it can start rotting. It can cause you problems with fungus gnats. It can create a strange ph situation in your soil uh you really want to get the roots out as best as you can yeah and yeah, then after you get to. The, after you get the roots out then you want to rebuffer the cocoa before you reuse it again
3: yeah that's another point you really got to wash that stuff out it's copped you know however many weeks of you putting in salt-based nutrients for you know every day it, it's going to have some locked in there that you're going to have to get out. And the biomass left over from the root and stuff, the roots and things like that, it's the main reason I don't reuse cocoa. I'm not saying you can't. I have done it and I have got a diary on Percy's. Actually, it's the Northern Lights diary. That was reused cocoa. Uh-huh. Um, same thing. But this is that's the issue you run into. You run into things like there's now rotting biomass in that medium. So you're going to have other bugs and things coming into it. Um, so, yeah, it can be can be a bit of a nightmare to to use you know reuse cocoa but it's it can be done if you're in a pinch and you you know you, you either can't source it, can't afford it or mm. or whatever, or just want to make use of what you've got because it's laying around, definitely you can reuse it. But yes, rebuffer.
0: And there is well, a guide over on Percy's to show you how to buffer cocoa if anybody needs mm. any more information on how to do that.
1: Yeah. Sorry, my, my rule, my rule for cocoa reuse. Uh, I used to reuse it just wholly would take regrow a plant and reuse cocoa. I was starting to get some problems with that because after the cocoa gets used a few times, it does start breaking down a bit. So now my new rule is basically no more than 50% used cocoa and at least 50% brand new cocoa in a pot. When I do that, I don't have any problems.
3: Yeah. Yeah. U- usually that's the way to do it. Um, because yeah, will it'll break? It breaks down as the roots move through it, cool. and it gets beaten around. It's it's gonna yeah, and you get more of that peat, that that real peaty sort of thing in it as it breaks down, and that's the sort of stuff you don't want in that in that medium when you're going for cocoa, which is why you wash it in the first place, I suppose, um, to get all of that out because you want the bigger pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that yeah, I'm the same. I I you know I generally try new runs, just new bag of cocoa. It's cheap enough to go and get a ninety liter brick. And that'll do four pots, four or five gallon pots with the perlite. So, you know, I, I just go and buy another one, and then I'll reuse the the old cocoa in my garden. So, I'll go and put that out on my, on the top of my lawn, and you know, within a couple of months, it's grown back over. You wouldn't even mm-hmm. notice, except for a couple of random pieces of perlite. Worms
0: like it, man. Life. If you use if you want to make a worm bin, then you know, use that cocoa for their their worm bedding. They're living there for a while. You just put yeah, stuff on the top. Point. So start a webbing, everybody, if you haven't done that worm bins are super fucking cool.
2: And a nice you way to get rid of cocoa. It? Yeah.
0: <laughs> but is that all the questions answered there for the, the buffoon and cocoa? I think that's cool, right? I think everything's covered there. There's, then we have one from Jellert. Hi, everyone. I thought, uh, thought it'd be interesting to hear the panel's thoughts on how to properly light-proof the grow room for when growing in residential areas. I've never seen anyone talking about that when I first started and ended up turning lights off every time I wanted to open open the tent. Yeah, uh, okay. But, I, I but I no, sorry, more. sorry. Uh, but now after putting lightproof plastic in between the two roll down blinds, I worry about the neighbors thinking I'm never home.
3: <laughs> Fuck them yeah. nosy bastards. Anyway, sorry, <laughs> Bubba Now I was gonna say for me, I actually just hang a couple of um a couple of sheets up behind they're just vertical blinds. Um, so if, if I just leave the vertical blinds and I open that tent, it, the, the entire you know, neighborhood's going to know that something's going on in there. So I put a couple of like a, like a big king sheet um, and, and a couple of towels up behind the, those so that the light doesn't hit the back of the verticals. Um, so it sort of goes around the outside. So you still got a bit of light glow going on, but it's not over the top. Cause I'm trying to kind of eliminating the majority of that light hitting the back of those blinds and sort of, you know, spotlighting the room, if you know what I mean.
0: Hmm. Is there anything you do that much?
2: I know when we had our groom before like, the room faced out into a yard, so it wasn't really as much of a big deal, but we definitely did cover up the windows. And then we also put like the door to go into the room. We put like a strip along the bottom of the door. So you couldn't see any like around the actual entire frame of the door. So you couldn't see any light mm. coming out of, that either and it worked really well like you couldn't tell that we had a grow room in there um which is important sometimes i mean sometimes you just don't even though i live in a legal place you just don't want your neighbors knowing what you're doing because there's a guy across the street from me and i'm pretty certain he had a grow room in one of his upper rooms because of the brightness of the light and the hours that it was always on and uh yeah he should have done a better job because that that window was facing the street so it's like anybody who kind of had any experience growing weed probably knew what he was doing in that Mm -hmm. room so yeah just cover it up and don't forget things like you know door frames and stuff like that depending on Mm -hmm. on what you're doing because you're just not wanting other people in our house knowing what was happening either like you know if you had somebody come over or whatever
0: yeah yeah I I use um, blackout curtains over mine so when mm-hmm. I open up the the door, it's like the curtains draped behind me, so it it's kind of stops any light from escaping out anyway, which is pretty cool. Just like just like hanging a big blackout curtain over it, and use a uh, safety pins on the top, and that keeps it clipped in place. Make sure mm-hmm. it doesn't fall off, and that, that stops a lot from escaping out and bouncing around the room. But yeah, just keeping the right. windows covered as well. That that works best, man. You don't want any light leaking out.
1: I remember I, I had a concern when I first started growing because I was using blurples and was growing in a, in a shower. Mm. And when I was outside in front of the house, I, I could notice at nighttime, some of that blurple light coming, you know, through the crack in a door through a window kind of thing. Mm. And so, yeah, that can be problem problematic. I wouldn't have bothered me one bit if it would have been regular, you know, regular full spectrum lights, but that blurple definitely.
0: Fish tank, uh, man. <laughs> it's
1: nice fish tank. I, and I don't know about blurple now
0: some of them fish like that blue blue light you know what
1: i'm saying but what i've uh, i mean i I've, I've decided i run i run my lights during the day that way when i open my tent it's sunlight outside and mm-hmm. you don't see the bright
3: lights mm-hmm. Yeah, same so on from you know i think my lights come on now about 7am and then mm-hmm. they'll go off around about 1am so yeah. between 1 and 1 1am uh, and 6am I'm usually trying to get some sleep anyway. So I'm not going to be in that room. And during the day, if I open the tent, you wouldn't know.
0: That's uh, it. Uh, SG2 asked here as well, before we wrap everything up. So uh, question, if you have everything spot on, will the THC content be more than a horrible cycle with everything going wrong? So most likely, mate. Yeah, If the plant's grown happily and healthily with no problems throughout its life cycle, then it has everything it needs to produce all the good stuff which it wants to do
1: that's the commercial grow theory and, and i have to agree with it you know there are there is a bro science that says if you're mean to your plant it's going to be stronger but i don't mm-hmm. i i technically i i think if you're nice to your plant that it's going to grow bigger and stronger
0: yeah i think so too i mean there's certain conditions that you can induce to make you know for example having a strong fan blowing at it He's not going to like that at first, but that's going to encourage it to grow stronger, thicker stems so it can support bigger flowers towards the end of the grow. If you introduce more UV, then the plant's going to produce more uh, THC and resins to try and prevent that UV from damaging its DNA in the cells. So there's certain things you can do to make the plant grow in a particular way. But, you know, it's all treating it good. You need a good, healthy plant in order to produce good healthy buds so just always be nice to the
3: plant yeah i think you're right on with that the happier the plant the better it's going to be overall you know because it's not just about thc content it's you know you've got all the other cannabinoids and terpenes and everything else that are in there um you know those all rely on that plant to be running happily to produce those in in bountiful amounts you know Mm. so happier the plant the better the the better the yield and the better the um the the everything's the word yeah better everything that's yeah. the easiest way to describe it yeah.
0: <laughs> well that's all the questions then we don't have any more and uh, that's uh temperatures and humidity as well i think that's everything covered There we go, everybody. That was this week's grow guides, all about temperature and humidity, just like any other of the grow guides that we've had. All we have to do, if you have any questions or you want to make any comments on this episode, head over to percy's forum and you can start a thread there. You will, of course, have to be a member, but it's 100% free to be a member and 100% free to sign up. So come along, get involved with the community. If you have any questions, just start a thread. It's really easy to do, and it will be great to see you over there and become part of the community. Uh, Don't forget, again, we have the live session with Tommy Chong. You can go over to youtube.com slash high on homegrown. You'll find our channel there and you'll be able to see the link for the live stream on the front page of the channel. So you can click on that and click set reminder to make sure that you don't forget. Uh, Next week's Grow Guides is going to be all about topping and training cannabis plants. So this is going to be an interesting one. So make sure you tune in for that next Friday. But of course, we have the live show on Sunday, which starts at nine o'clock UK time. We have the live session, the happy birthday session with Tommy Chung on Monday, which also starts at nine o'clock UK time, 5 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you're there. We have the Cannabis News coming out on Monday too. We have a interview on Wednesday and we have the Grow Guides on Friday. Every week, same thing. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We massively appreciate it. And we hope to see you there on Sunday for the live show. But if not, we'll see you there on Monday for the Tommy Chong birthday party. Nice. Have a good weekend, everybody. Stay high, stay safe, stay high and homegrown. We'll see you on Sunday. Bye.